You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Our president signed a declaration with um, men of God standing around him and even women that we would take a moment and pray today the people in uh, Texas, especially those around Houston. If I remember Houston, I think is the fourth largest city in America and has just been devastated. Meteorologists had no idea of the impact of this storm and what it would do. The floodwaters have been beyond anything we've ever seen before in this country. And a lot of people have been displaced. A lot of people have been affected by this. And so the president has asked that churches and all of us take a moment and pray. And so that's what I want us to do. I'd like for you real quickly in, a, in just a group, just somebody right around you, I want you to take just a moment, whisper a prayer, pick somebody out, out of your little group and, and pray a quick prayer with that group. And then I'm going to close this out. But let's, let's pray together for the people of Houston and the areas in Louisiana that have been affected. So you just take somebody's hand, pray with a couple of other people. You can grab somebody near you. Let's pray together. Lord, as we looked, as people were being rescued, we watched a nation. We talk about uh, a nation that is so divided, and yet we saw, uh, uh, we saw a large black man carrying small white children. We saw a white man carrying a, a black woman. It, seemed as if, Lord, that race and the problems of this nation were quickly remedied and solved in the midst of a storm. We are seeing how much we have been able to come together as a country, north and south, east and west, from all walks of life, all political parties and groups joining together. This morning I heard that they're having to turn back volunteers because so many are coming and investing into this crisis. And so, Lord, we give you the glory. It's just like you to do something that can affect so many lives. So we praise you, Lord. And what an appropriate prayer and time as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning about Jesus in a storm. The disciples so troubled and we pray, dear Lord, that you'll speak to us now. And we pray, dear Lord, that you'll do a great work in our nation. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. You can uh, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. I'll go ahead. I No, you better stand up. Since Chris and Christy are standing, you better go ahead and stand up. Uh, oh, my mic. And am I, am I on now? Okay. We are in Mark chapter 4. We're picking up today at verse 35. Last week, Reggie did a great job of, of walking us through those passages, those parables about the seed, the mustard seed, and, and about the light that we don't hide, but we put it out in the open. And he had some great things to teach us. And I went back and listened to that message a second time. And uh, tried to uh, not only encourage him, but to uh, say some things that the Lord had been able to say to me through Reggie. 
But today we come to Jesus and we come to Him in the middle of a storm and it's really amazing to me that we are going through this time in, in, our, in our nation today. Uh, this situation with Hurricane Harvey. You know, I, I was listening to weathermen, meteorologists, and they said there was no way to pre predict the devastation that would come. They said they had no idea. They, they, they said there was no way to prepare. They said they absolutely could not predict the amount of rainfall and the water that would come out of a single storm. It was just massive. It was unheard of. And to see a city, the fourth largest city in America, completely crippled and devastated. We thought Katrina, and I remember when Katrina came through here. We were, we were without power for nine days. I remember working in a shelter where people were coming out of New Orleans and coming up here, and we were ministering to them. And we thought with Katrina that we would never see a storm of that magnitude. And yet we see in Houston an unbelievable, uh, though it was not loss of life like Katrina, billions and billions and years and years of trying to repair it. You know, let me tell you something. You and I can never be prepared for a storm, can we? I mean, no matter how hard we try. In fact, I'm writing a book right now on race relations. And Friday, I think it, no, it was Thursday afternoon, I was writing about a situation out of my ministry in my first church where I was uh, sitting in a house in our home on a Saturday morning, beautiful fall. I think it was a fall day, but it was just a great day when all of a sudden the phone rang and the postmaster of the post office was on the phone and her voice was shaken and she was really upset. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, one of our church members, a young lady that we had ministered to that had come to Christ had been murdered in the post office. For about $243, she ran the post office on a Saturday morning. Somebody came in, made her kneel down, get down on her knees. They put a gun to the back of her head and they shot her right there. I was the first person to get to that post office after the postmaster. And I remember seeing that scene as she laid there. And it just, in fact, Sheila, before I preached that funeral, had to take me to the ER because I was so, I was dealing with heart palpitations and was dealing with post-traumatic stress myself. I had the responsibility, I and a, and a man in our church, a great man of God who's now in heaven, I had the responsibility of then going instructed by the postmaster with the highway patrol to go and tell her husband and her daughter that she had been murdered. Her daughter was 10 years old. I still can remember that scene on that porch as her daughter wailed and began to run through the house and as I began to try to minister to this family. You can never be prepared for a storm. Yesterday morning, one of our youth one of the girls that we watched grow up in this church, we ministered to this family, Taisha, who was always here growing up as a, as a child and as a teenager. 20 years old, was two blocks from her home and was hit by a drunk driver on Belvedere and went into eternity. You never know. You never know when storms are going to come. Now I want you to listen closely. Look this way. I don't think I want to know. 
And so here the disciples and Jesus are going through a storm. In verse 35 of Mark chapter 4, Mark says that that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, what's the next two words? Let's say them together real loud. What are, oh, oh, oh. let us, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, that is Jesus, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him and a furious squall came up, wind came up and the waves began to break over into the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. What was he doing? He was sleeping, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that, that we're about to drown? Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They, they were terrified. They looked at each other and said, what, what manner of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And no matter what storm we may face in life, you can handle it. And so, Lord, we trust you that you'll speak to our hearts and we give you glory for what you'll say. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Let me be a tool in your hand. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This, this has been a long day. Uh, Jesus, Jesus had been teaching all day. He had been giving parable after parable, analogy after analogy. Uh, you know that the crowd was pressing so much onto Jesus that he finally had his disciples put him in a boat, and the boat was, at, at, uh, was drifting along, along the bank, the people were, it was like a natural amphitheater that came down to, toward the Sea of Galilee and he was teaching this massive crowd of people. It's been a long day. He's not only been teaching and instructing the crowd, he's also been turning to his disciples and he's been trying to explain the parables. It's been a taxing day. And so now evening is coming and as evening comes, he says to his disciples, let's say those two words, let us. Let's say them real loud. Let us. Now let me tell you something. Tattoo that if you want. If there's something you could tattoo on your body, now all the parents are going, don't you tell my kids that. Yeah, what do they call that, henna? Is that what, it, what is that? Is that what it's called? kind of tattoo that you get when you go to Destin for a week and you want to be daring but you don't want to be too daring but you come back and tell your mama that you got a tattoo just to scare That's, those are two good words let us Jesus says to the disciples let us 
go over to the other side. And, 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 and that's important. Because you and I, every decision that we make in life, we should be trying to seek God's will, God's purpose, God's plan. We always want hear, to hear Jesus saying, let us. And those are good words there. So Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. Now, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is simply this. Jesus was already in the boat. And he looks at his disciples and he said, let us go over to the other side. And, and on the other side was a, a lot of rural development. It wasn't big cities. It was kind of more rural, more primitive, small towns, little communities. And so Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. And maybe it was to, maybe it was to get away, I don't know. But he's leaving the crowd behind. He takes them, or they take him just as he was in the boat. And there were other boats with him. And that's important for you and I to remember. There were other followers, other boats. They were all kind of, the Bible called, well, they call it a flotilla. It was a group of boats. And they were all making their way now across the Sea of Galilee, and there were other boats. When in verse 37, do you see it? A furious squall came up. Storm came up. Now, real quickly... The Sea of Galilee sits down in a hole. In fact, it's the deepest freshwater lake in the world. It, has, it is so deep that it has stratospheres of, of levels of the lake. It's, an un, it's a marvel. It's a, a natural wonder of the world. It's recorded that one time one fisherman caught nearly 10,000 pounds of fish. It sits down about 700 feet down in this hole. It's the deepest freshwater lake in the world. It's surrounded by mountains. Mount Hermon, which is, uh, I don't know, it's over 9,000 feet, I think. The, the water comes out, the snows melt, and the water comes out of that, comes down the Jordan, flows into the Sea of Galilee. But also surrounding this sea is mountains. And these mountains act like funnels. So as this wind is coming across, it funnels down through these mountains, and as it's forced down through these mountains, all of a sudden that wind explodes across that lake. And twice a year, there are times in your life, and especially in the wintertime, I think it's from November to April, they say that it can be extremely difficult to navigate the Sea of Galilee. They say the storms, the winds can be 70 miles per hour. They say even seasoned fishermen are reluctant to get out on the sea. Very, very careful, even when they get out on the sea. But all of a sudden, it says that this squall, this storm, begins to hit this boat, and immediately this boat begins to take on water. Now, let me ask you something. What is the occupation of most of these men that are in this boat? They're fishermen. And they're scared to death. In a matter of a moment, they're, they're, they're screaming at, at Jesus. And, and let me say something here, because this is important. First of all, I want you to write this down. Anytime God promises to get you somewhere, He'll get you there. Okay? There are times in your life when God calls us to do something, a will, a plan, a purpose that He has for our lives, and, and you may think to yourself, 
well, I don't know if I'm going to get there or not. What God, when God promises to get you to a destination, He's going to get you there. Jesus said to these disciples, let us go to the other side. And that was a clear promise that they'd get to the other side. Now, everybody listen. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sometimes to get to a place where God has called you to be requires you to go through a storm. Requires you to go through a difficulty because God is trying to do something in your life and in my life. The only way that He can do it is in the midst of a storm. Sometimes the most growth that we have spiritually is in the dark, deep times when we're in the middle of a storm. You been there? So the Bible says that they, they were in a storm Verse 38, where was Jesus? You know, I remember when I was a kid, we would travel. We had an old Galaxy 500. Where's Willie? Do you remember the old Galaxy? I had them, it was a big red car, had the wings on the back, you know, looked like the Batmobile, you know. And we'd go on vacation, and there were six of us. And you know, you did 80 miles an hour, no seat belts, hanging out the windows because you didn't have no air conditioning. You know, you had an AM radio that made all kinds of racket noise. I mean, you know, that's just the way life was back when I was growing up. And Dwayne, don't look shocked. You were there too. <laughs> but I can remember when we would come, we would leave. My dad worked for NASA down in, down in Florida, Titusville, Florida. And we would leave there. And it was about 700 miles to come to Yazoo City where, where my grandmother and my dad's family lived. And eventually we would get tired. And I can remember as a kid, you can't see this if you're listening by website, but I remember a lot of times that I would turn around. We didn't have car seats and all that. We just, we just traveled by faith. But uh, I'd turn around and, and had bench seats on the front and back, and I would put my knees down on the floorboard, and I'd lay my head on the back seat, and I would go sound asleep. That's the picture of Jesus. The Bible says that He's in the stern, and there was a place there, some said for an honored guest, but he's there in the stern with a cushion, and he's out. I always say Sheila doesn't sleep, she goes into a coma. You know, there's just some people that just, they, they have the gift of sleep. You may have that gift. Jeffrey has a gift. Some people just can sleep. And Jesus was out like a light. You know, I remember one time Sheila and I, we were on our way to Mayo, and we need to pray for Sandy and Doug. Sandy right now is at Mayo Clinic. She's having all these tests run, and we want to keep them in our prayers because what a great couple, what great, uh, a great couple, people of God. But I remember when I was going to Mayo Clinic, and Sheila and I, we were flying out of Memphis, and we went into one of those storms where, a, you know, a high pressure and low pressure where they meet. You ever been in one of those? Man, it's unbelievable. The only time I ever heard a, a pilot, his voice kind of break, tell everybody to sit down. But if you ever notice when you're on those kind of flights, usually you always have some flight people that are in transit and they're going somewhere else. I remember one time being in a bad storm and I was getting a little scared and all of a sudden I looked, boy, I missed the chairs up here. But I, but I looked and I looked at, and, and there across and up at another point was a pilot. 
Man, he was, he was, and he had all the stripes and everything. And, and undoubtedly, he was flying out of Memphis, going somewhere else so he could take, so he could fly. He was a pilot. And undoubtedly, one way up the ladder. Big, big pilot. And here I am scared to death and other people were getting nervous and that plane was bucking and moving and just being shoved around by that wind when all of a sudden I, got, I thought, you know, man, this is, this is really kind of scary. When I looked up there and here's this pilot. He's reading the newspaper. He's got a cup of coffee. And he's sitting there as if he's apathetic and absolutely indifferent. So I begin to watch him. And I thought to myself, well, if he's not worried, then maybe I shouldn't be either. Let me tell you something. The disciples were scared to death, but the reality is they forgot to look at somebody in the middle of their storm. They forgot to look at Jesus. Let me tell you something. Your storm is by divine appointment. You're, hey, listen, your guardian angels didn't go, oh, you'll never believe what happened, God. We just turned our back for a moment, and there she was. She was in the middle of a crisis and a storm. Lord, you just can't imagine how bad it is. I don't know, what, what are we going to do? Oh, there's, you, know what, you know what Corey Tin Boom told Adrian Rogers? Adrian Rogers went to meet this great woman of God, and he said, Adrian Rogers said, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to listen. He walks in, Corey Tin Boom looks at him and says, oh, Dr. Rogers... There is no panic in heaven, only plans. Your guardian angels are not up there. God's not exasperated going, oh, what will we do now? Sometimes we have to recognize that storms are divine appointments to do business with God, to spend time with God, to be drawn closer to God. To, to be honest with you, if you're a young parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't sit those kids down long enough to fellowship with them, but let them get sick. Let them go through a crisis. And no matter how old they are, let them go through a storm, even a grown child, and the first person a lot of times they're calling is, Dad, Mom, will you help me? Sometimes God can only get us to fellowship with them when we're in a storm. The disciples were in a storm. They just forgot something. They forgot Jesus was asleep. Wow. He was resting. He wasn't startled. He wasn't upset. And the Bible says, it goes on to say, it said a furious squall came up and the waves were doing what? What were they doing? They were breaking over into the boat. They were absolutely to the point of capsizing and you think to yourself, man, Jesus must have really been out. If it is raining and the wind is blowing and this boat is moving like that, he must have been absolutely exhausted. It's a picture of his humanity. He is out like a light. You can't wake him but the disciples forgot to look at that, to see the peace that was in him. He's sovereign. He can control the storm. He wasn't bothered by it. He was resting. And the waves were breaking over into the boat. Let me say this real quickly. The reality is, is that's the enemy. You know what the enemy's trying to do in the storms? Everybody listen. The enemy is trying to sink you. He comes to kill, steal, to destroy. That's what he's about. He wants to put you under. He wants to devastate you. He wants to depress you. He wants to get you so down, so defeated, that before long you feel like, man, I'm just seeking in the world. Disciples were probably 
These are fishermen. At least seven of them are fishermen. Seven or eight of them are fishermen. They've lived their life on this sea. They've made their living. You know what they thought? Listen, everybody listen. Don't, don't let me lose you here. Somebody probably said it was probably Matthew, the text collector. Wind is just blowing, storm. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Boats bucking up and down. It's a great story to tell your kids when they're small. You know, I'd rock the bed and have all the kids, you know, screaming and hollering. We'd put on a big show when I'd tell this story back before they'd go to bed at night. It's a great story for parents to tell their kids. And so you see this scene, it's just unbelievable. And finally, Matthew, who's not a seaman and is not a fisherman, he probably, he probably said, do you, do you want me to wake Jesus up? And I'm sure for a while, Peter, James, and stuff, don't bother him. We're seasoned fishermen. We know what we're doing. Matthew, y'all calm down. Everything's going to be all right. Let me tell you what the enemy does, and let me tell you sometimes what God allows. God allows you and I to be tested in our strengths, not our weaknesses. I want you to listen closely. When a man or woman fails in their strengths, that fall is unbelievably damaging to the kingdom of God. If the enemy can take you down in your strengths, what you consider to be your strengths, what you're strong in, then the enemy has the ability to deal a decisive blow to the kingdom of God and the testimony of the church. This storm was taxing and testing the disciples in what they believed to be their strengths. You know what their thought was? They probably thought to themselves, hey, we don't have to wake him up. We can handle this. We've got it. Let him sleep. And what is that a picture of? That's a picture of you and I because a lot of times we get into storms. We do everything we can to figure our way out of it, right? If you're in a financial storm, I need to go talk to a financial advisor. I need to go to the bank. I need to put this collateral up. I need to, I need to um, you know, uh, car for title, title for car, whatever. I need to do whatever. I got a little equity in the house. I need to put that up. And we start trying to strategize and figure out how we can get out of this financial storm that we're in. You ever hear people make this statement? Well, all you can do is Pray. It's almost like a last resort. Well, everything else has failed. All you can do now is pray. Isn't that right? We go to this doctor, that doctor, we have this ailment, we have that. Hey, it would never occur to us to first of all get on our knees and call out to Christ and say, Lord, you're the healer. You can heal me. You're the great physician. And God, I just come before you. And if it be your will, God, first of all, I want to ask you to heal me of any way possible. We call our friends, say, listen, I'm not feeling good, but I don't feel yet that God wants me to go to the doctor. I need you to pray with me. Sometimes God is the last resort, the last thing we do. These disciples had a boat that was sinking. They were on the verge of going under. And you know what their thought was finally? They go to Jesus. And you notice how they go to Jesus. Don't you love this? Because don't we do this too? The Bible says that Jesus, verse 38, was in the stern. He was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him what? What did they say? Teacher, don't you care that we are about to drown? 
You ever get mad at God? If you say no, then you're probably lying. You know, God and I at times have not been on speaking terms. There have been times I've thrown stuff. There have been times, hey, some of these doors, somebody asked me, what, what happened to the doorknob? I said, well, it broke. It wasn't a very good doorknob. But to be honest with you, and God forgive me, there have been a few times in this church through the years I have slammed doors and been angry at God. In fact, there have been times my wife has seen me throw a fit because I've been so upset with God. And you probably have been there too. And sometimes when you and I are in the middle of a storm and things are not working out in our life and everything seems to be going wrong and we're trying to figure out every way possible how to get ourselves out of the storm, we finally go to God and God's probably going, well, I've been waiting on you. The Bible says that the disciples came and they woke Jesus up. Imagine that. They wake him up. I mean, man, the wind is pounding. The rain is pounding. The waves are they're five to ten feet waves on this boat. And they go to Jesus and they say, Hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're about to drown? They're angry with him. They're upset with him. And sometimes that's the way you and I get when we're in a storm. We get mad at God. We never bother to ask God why I'm into this, in this storm. God, what are you trying to do in my life in the midst of this storm? God, what is your will and your purpose and your plan in this storm? God, what are you trying to teach somebody that I love that is going through this storm? And, and it, we never bother. We never get before God and really get along with God and begin to ask God, God, what are you trying to do? Have you ever realized that a lot of times when you're reading the Word of God, how often something will be in the Word of God that all of a sudden will shake you as if God is popping you on the back of the head and says, this is what I'm doing. They're mad at Jesus. They, hey, they accuse Jesus of not caring. You know there's writers, you know David would do that, you know the Psalms would do you know Job did that. You know, there's times in our life we feel like, God, God, where are you? Where are you, God? There have been times I've looked toward the heavens and said, God, where are you? What are you doing up there? God, can't you see that I'm hurting? I'm in a storm or somebody that I love's in a storm. God, what are you doing? sometimes angry and frustrated with God when God says, I am doing something. I'm always doing something. And it's your responsibility in prayer and in my word to discover what I'm doing. You notice how Jesus doesn't, he doesn't say anything. He, he, he gets up, in verse 39, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The language here in the Greek is literally shut up, shut it up. In fact, in the Greek, it's muzzle it. Alicia was saying something the other day. I don't know where we were in family. I think we were eating, and Alicia was talking. I said, Alicia, this is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. Of course, I was teasing with her because ain't nobody going to tell Alicia what to do. She's a strong leader of personality, and I mean that in a positive way, and I thank God for that. But you know what Jesus was saying to the storm, Bubba? He was saying, muzzle it, stop it. Shut it up right now. And immediately, 
Jeffrey said last week through tears as he led us in worship, he said when Jesus said those words, he said everything in that storm immediately became placid and still. Listen to me, a little thing. You know how far away they were from the shore? They figure at least five miles. You know what those suckers did for that five miles? They rode that baby to shore. Yeah. Luke says they were selling. They were selling along. They had they they even had some of these shit, some of these boats had a mask and a and a sail. But they weren't selling now. There was no wind, there was nothing. They had to row the boat the rest of the way. Why? Because they did not believe. The storm here is not the storm outside of them. The storm was what was inside of them. Jesus doesn't admonish them for anything other than their lack of faith. Let me ask you something this morning. Good good question. When you're in a storm, you know what the first question should be in our lives? Is this a storm of my own making? You're in a financial crisis. First thing is, did I put myself in this crisis? You're in a health situation and you think, well, have I smoked, drank, done drugs or lived such an abusive life and abused my body that I put myself in this situation. Sometimes we're in storms that we ourselves have made. Jonah was a case in point. Jonah was in a storm of his own making. But Jesus tells this storm to muzzle it. He said, shut it up and... The Bible says in verse 39, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. It, it, all of a sudden, imagine that. Now, now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Imagine some preacher, some figure, some religious figure that is a well-respected man of God. Let's say that Billy Graham in his 90s, in his poor health, he tells Franklin Graham, he tells his kids, he said, will me down to the coast down there off, will me down to the coast between Houston and the Gulf of Mexico. And Billy Graham rises up and stands in the face of Harvey as it's coming in with its full force and says, Muzzle it! Shut it up! Quiet! And immediately, wind stops. Sea grows placid. What would you and I think of Billy Graham? Jesus had healed lepers, cleansed lepers, blind see, dead raised, deaf hear, mute speak. But the disciples said, what is this? That inanimate creation obeys him. Muzzle it. And then he says in verse 40, he says to his disciples, don't you think this is kind of funny? Don't you almost feel like you got a little bit of a sense of humor here? It's all over with, sea's calm. They're looking at Jesus and saying, well, uh, uh, could you muster up a little bit of wind or a little breeze? Could you help us get to the other side? Jesus said, no. Start rowing, boys. You never forget this one. Five, over five miles probably rowing a boat, getting ashore. And you know what I think Jesus did? You ever have these people? He probably said, I told you so. And he probably smiled and said, what? Let me ask you something. Guys, put the, put the oars down. Let me ask you something. What were you afraid of? What were you afraid of? 
And they probably look said, they probably laugh said, Jesus, you being a smart aleck? Are, are, are you being sarcastic? Are you joking around with us? When you stood up and, and, and saw that storm, you know what we were afraid of. And Jesus said, no, I don't, I don't really understand what you're afraid of. Jesus said, listen, you've seen me restore sight to the blind. You've seen me cleanse leper's skin. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen death hear. You've seen mute speak. You've seen me provide bread from the heavens. You've seen me over and over and over again provide for you every step of the way. What were you afraid of? Some that are yawning will one day be there. As they get older, marriage, children, life, finances, and all the pressures begin to come. You know what Jesus sometimes would say to us in the middle of our storm? Why are you so afraid? In other words, what he would say is, trust me. And then he says this, do you still have no faith? You see, the storm wasn't. You know, I love MacArthur. MacArthur said... He had a simple three-point outline, if I can remember. He said, the calm before the storm, the calm during the storm, the storm after the calm. Isn't that good? The calm before the storm, the calm in the storm, the storm after the calm. Because, see, the problem was their faith. The, the, the real problem was not the storm on the outside, it was the lack of faith on the inside. And what Jesus was saying, I'm trying to show you something about yourself. Now everybody listen closely. If I'm holding a cup up here, there's no way that you can know what's in it. You don't know what's in it. It could be sulfuric acid, it could be urine, it could be spring water, it could be coke. You wouldn't have no idea. And if you couldn't come up here and look down into it, you'd never know what was in that cup. But if I shake it, if I get upset and I shake that cup, it starts to spill the content out. You'll know immediately what's in it. Sometimes storms come in our life because God is trying to show us what is in us. You don't know what somebody's made out of until you put them under pressure and all of a sudden you begin to see the contents of their heart. Jesus said, this is the real problem. And then lastly, verse 41, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is it? Who is this? What manner of man is this? Hey, the wind, the wind has stopped. This, the, the sea looks as placid and, 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 and flat as if, as if somebody's put a spell on it. What, what manner of man is this that the wind of the waves obey him? And I love what MacArthur says there. He said, that's the storm after the calm. I'm going to tell you folks, listen to me closely. Sometimes you and I are going through storms because God is trying to reveal something about ourselves. Sometimes we see what, we, what is inside of us, what we really are. Sometimes God is trying to reveal who he is. You know, there's an old song, you can go ahead and stand. There's an old song that says... Listen to these words. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. Okay, now listen to that. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. 
I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. Did you hear that? You may say, well, you know, Pastor, why am I going through storm? Why am I going through difficulty? Well, we all do. In the world, we're going to have tribulation. They're going to come. Hey, listen, and, and look this way. All you young parents, you know, I was talking this morning to the men. I said, listen, while you got an opportunity, you better impress into the lives of your children while they're small spiritual principles because if you don't, it'll come back to haunt you. The reality is, young parent, that there'll come a day when the phone rings and your heart will go down to your feet. And in that moment, when that moment comes, the only one that you can cling to is Christ. Permeate those children while they're small with the principles of God's Word so that when they get in the storms, they will know who to turn to. And they'll be great men and women of God. And that's critical. What manner of man is this? He's not just man. He's the God-man. And the Bible said the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten. 1 John 1 says we handled Him, we touched Him, we smelled Him, we saw Him with our eyes, we could smell Him with our nose, all our tactile senses. We, we saw Jesus. As the old Africans say in Zimbabwe, Mwadi Akafeka Munyama, God put on the flesh of man and invaded his creation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The storm of Calvary was to give you and I the peace of redemption. He can handle, listen to me, he can handle whatever storm you're going through right now. Just trust him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we love you, and we give you glory. You alone are worthy to be praised. There's no one like Jesus. The Arthur, the finisher of our faith, the one who endured the cross and the shame that came with it, the one who paid the penalty for our redemption and set us free. The one who right now may be speaking into the hearts of someone in this room and saying to them, I love you. I died for you. I paid the penalty of your sin. I offer you a new life. And if you'll repent of your sin and invite me to come into your heart, I'll forgive you and cleanse you and be the Lord and the master of your life. Lord, I pray that there be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who in childlike faith would simply say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me and be my Lord. Lord, there are some in this room that are going through difficulties and trials, storms and heartache. May they realize, dear Lord, that you're not only revealing some things about them or the people that they love, but you're also going to reveal yourself in the midst of this storm. It'll be a divine revelation. Sometimes the only revelations that the deepest and most meaningful are in those times. So I pray for people that are hurting right now. Encourage them. Strengthen them. 
Lord, if it be possible, quiet their storms so that they can begin to have a reprieve and begin to see and find healing. I pray for others in this room that this message may not mean anything. Life may be good right now. Things may be going well. But there comes a storm they know not of somewhere in the future. And the words that they've heard today will quiet their soul in the middle of that storm. So Lord, speak to us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.